Thanks, Joy, and uh, g'day, everyone. Go back to uh, Isaiah 11. Uh, ben Gray is my name, if we haven't met, and um, I'm the minister here at All Saints. Uh, our numbers are starting to thin out. That's what happens as we get to the end of the university calendar and the end of the year. Uh, people are starting to head home and away, and that's wonderful. Do be uh, seeking to follow each other up and encourage each other over the summer. Uh, Tim Parker, there he is. It's his last Sunday with us. He's about to fly to Pennsylvania and come back a married man. It's very exciting. And uh, so uh, do pray for Tim uh, as he heads to Pennsylvania. PA, lots of snow already. Lucky ducks. Let's... um, pray and we'll ask God for some help as we come to Isaiah chapter 11, which I can't even find in my Bible. That's a problem. There we go, we got it. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your word and this time together we ask that you would help us, that we might see Jesus for who he truly is and all that he's truly done and that we would long for his coming in expectant and confident hope. We pray that you would do this for us by your spirit and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, There's a few rules that apply to me here at church. One is I'm not allowed near any of this stuff. I've been black banned from uh, any musical instruments or leading the singing at church for good reason. And during one of our lockdowns, a friend of mine, who shall remain nameless to protect Peter's identity, (laughs) had the idea that we should prank our families by creating alternate online church services to play on our TVs, where he and I led singing together. And when uh, that alternate church service came on our TV screen, to my family's utter terror, I started to lead the singing and one of my sons buried his face in a pillow in total denial, (laughs) maybe this isn't happening. My wife responded in precisely the the way I expect she would respond if we were all on an aeroplane that was about to crash, (laughs) where despite her own anxiety and deep-seated fears, She mustered all her strength to gather the children and comfort them. (laughs) Everything's going to be okay. As they thought my singing was going live on YouTube. I have uh, very little musical sensibility, but I can tell when something is good. And whether you're musical or not, And whether classical music is your bag or not, Handel's Messiah is good. And when you hear the emotion and the skill and the depth and the meaning as Handel took the promises of the Bible about who Jesus is and what he would do and sought to put it to music and words, or put the words of the Bible to music, It captures something of what we're hoping this series will do for us. 
You can't listen to Handel's Messiah and think these promises, these events of history, this Jesus is unimportant, insignificant or not very good. It's the sort of thing that causes you to think that this Jesus is meant to capture our hearts and our minds and our imaginations even as he captures our lives and rescues us for all eternity. But even something as tear-jerking and heart-grasping and mind-bending as Handel's Messiah, that is absolutely nothing compared to what would have happened that day when the angel Gabriel was joined by thousands from the heavenly hosts to announce in rapture and explosion in the sky that today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to us who is Christ the Lord. The most important thing in history was taking place when Jesus was born into the world to live the life we could never live, to die the death that we deserved, to rise to eternal life in great promise that all who trust in him would rise with him as we've already sung. And what we are desperate to avoid by God's grace and by his word and spirit is to have the real Jesus lost in the midst of busy calendars and paper crowns and full tables and plastic Jesus at the plastic shopping centre. We want to keep coming back to seeing the significance of this king born lived, died, raised for us. And Isaiah chapter 11 is the place that we're going today as we continue to think about the expectation of Jesus, the King. The King who rules the universe and makes a claim on each of our lives and our eternity. This is what I want us to see from chapter 11 in Isaiah. The perfect king, his perfect peace and his glorious rest. He is the perfect king. Have a look with me at chapter 11 verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. It's a shoot that's coming up out of a stump. It doesn't sound particularly kingly or impressive right at that moment. But it does in the context, if you read chapters 7 to 10 of Isaiah, you see that God's judgment is coming against his people for their idolatry, for their rebellion, for the way in which they have ignored him, for the way in which they've perpetrated injustice in the world. And they have rebelled against him in their own lives. God's judgment is coming against them in the form of the Assyrian army who will wipe them out. And the stump of Jesse is a picture of King David's royal line, the line that we expect because of God's promises will be in play and a king from David's family will rule over God's perfect kingdom forever. 
except that the Assyrian army comes in and wipes them out. And in God's judgment against his people's sin, their injustices and idolatry, he describes the Assyrian army like his axe that he is wielding and he chops down even the kings of Israel, the wicked kings. But God says to the Assyrians, you will not be uh, let off lightly when it comes to my judgment either. Though God used the Assyrian army as a, as a tool for his judgment, their actions are still their responsibility that they're culpable for. And their evil and their injustice and their oppression of God's people will be judged as well. And so your picture you get is that everything, God's people, the Assyrians, all laid waste all cut down, all burned in the fire of God's righteous judgment. And all you have is the blackened, charred, smoking stumps that was once a grand forest. I've lived through a few uh, bushfires in my time. Uh, we were putting up panels on our windows and priming fire pumps the day before our wedding. In 1994, I sat on the roof of our house and watched the bushfires just go past out the back. Now I think about it, it's a dumb place to sit. But one of the amazing things, it's stark, it's bare. When you, when you walk out into the bush once a fire has been extinguished, you realise, wow, I can see a lot further than I ever have before because there's nothing left. It's just black and smoky and smelly and you have stumps. And then, then, like a star in the black night sky, you see a shoot and the promise of new life and regeneration and new beginnings that come. And you see flowers, extraordinary flowers that can only bloom after fire. And while God says to the Assyrians, you're done, that's it. He says of the stump that is the kingly line of Jesse, from that blackened stump, will come a shoot, hope, new life, regeneration. And as God's people for hundreds of years have looked for the perfect king and been disappointed time and time and time again by human sinfulness and selfishness and failure, this perfect king, the shoot, that will come from the stump of Jesse. For he will be the perfect eternal king. Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. 
and he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. This perfect king will judge perfectly. He will confront evil He will confront injustice. He will overturn oppression. He will bring wickedness and sin to its end. Imagine a king like this who is not swayed by public opinion, who is not simply appearing to do what is right and good, but only ever does what is right and is good. (laughs) Who doesn't work for the appearance of, but works for righteousness and exacting justice. And his measuring stick is the perfect holiness of God himself. Friends, isn't that good news? That Jesus, the perfect king, will judge judge the nations with righteousness and perfect justice. That as you look at the world around you and despair, as you think about the oppression that still takes place and the way that people with money and power stick their foot on the necks of the weak and the needy, where it seems like evil just continues to grow, where people are still going hungry, where innocent people are caught up in power grabs and wars and conflict and strife and famine and natural disasters and personal disasters, and relationship breakdown, and domestic violence. And so often you think, where, where, where is the justice? Jesus, the perfect king, will judge the nations with righteousness, with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And his judgment is not arbitrary and it is not unfair. In chapter 65, he says, as the perfect judge, he says to the world and to his people, I called and you did not answer. I spoke and you did not listen. You did evil in my sight and you chose to do what displeases me, says the Lord. And friends, it is good news that we should long for and embrace that Jesus, the perfect King, will judge with exacting righteousness and the standard of God's perfect holiness. 
that should be a great comfort to us and remind us not to despair. But isn't that the most terrifying news you've ever heard as well? Because if all things and all people are measured by his perfect righteousness and the measuring stick of God's holiness, that means you and I will be judged and measured by that same standard too. The evil and injustice out there will be dealt with by Jesus, the King, the perfect one. And the evil and injustice in here will as well. How is it that this perfect king can bring about the perfection of justice and judgment and righteousness and not wipe us off the face of the planet and throw us into eternal death along the way? Well, the hope for Isaiah has consistently been you need God to show up. The only hope that the world can have is that God cracks open heaven and steps into his world that he made and he loves and he himself comes to redeem it. And in chapter 9 we hear, to us a child is born. And he will be Emmanuel, God with us. And he will be the mighty one the God of judgment. He will be the everlasting one. He will be the wonderful counsellor who speaks his word of judgment and salvation into the world. He will be the prince of peace. Reconciling all things to God by the blood of his cross. And it's only because Jesus is both judge and saviour it's only because Jesus is God in the flesh who can righteously take the justice and judgment of God for our sin on himself at the cross in order that we might run to him and find refuge in his saving death. That the promise of perfect peace might come in verse 6. It doesn't end with a picture of exacting justice and judgment, it ends with a picture of perfect peace, the result of Jesus' judgment, his righteous justice, is that every threat is dealt with and every enemy reconciled and every danger put aside. Have a look at verse 6. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There will be nothing that can harm or destroy as a result of Jesus' judgment and his justice and the perfect peace of his perfect future. 
This is a, 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 an image that we're given in Isaiah of everything that kind of is at enmity with one another reconciled. Anything that threatens or harms life is quietened. It's not the sort of thing where we're meant to go and stick our hands in brown snake nests claiming that Jesus has brought about this perfect peace. It's a picture of his perfect future in the new creation, of what he will do at the end of history. Because as we, as we read that, as we look towards the perfect peace of Jesus' perfect future that's achieved through his sacrificial death for us, it's, it's legitimate to say, where is that peace? Because while we, we experience it in real and true ways, we don't experience it in all its fullness, do we? We still experience enmity and relationship breakdown, conflict and strife. While we get glimpses of that peace and we get tinges of that joy, the hope of Isaiah points us to the perfect future when we'll experience it in all its fullness. I heard one uh, author describe it because Isaiah, you remember, is talking 700 years before Jesus. And it can be hard to work out, is it talking about Jesus' first coming unto us, a child is born, it's Christmas, right? Or is it talking about Jesus' second coming at the end of history? This is the perfect future, the perfect peace. And Isaiah kind of looks at both of them as if he's looking at one mountain in the distance, that is Jesus. But as you get close to it, as we have, 700, 2,700 years down the track, you realise there's actually a mountain range, there's two mountains that Isaiah was looking at, the first and the second coming of Jesus, and it's, we're living in between those two mountains, as it were. Well, here you go. This is year eight, scripture on Thursday. This is what they came up with, topical. It's like as, as if Australia won the World Cup. Summerhill exploded last night when Australia beat Tunisia, right? Imagine if Australia won the World Cup. You can imagine the country would explode, right? We would, we would be filled. I haven't watched a minute of the soccer but we would be filled, all of us, right, with joy, with satisfaction, with that sense of victory. But we would also then long for the day when the Socceroos would land back in Australia with the cup and the party would go on face to face with like at, in the physical presence of the World Cup. Do you get it? Jesus has won the victory, we have the joy, we have the peace, the future is secure and one day we'll enjoy that in all its fullness. The glimpses that we get now of reconciliation, of peace, of strength, of joy, that are real and deep and significant one day in all their fullness with nothing anymore that can harm or destroy or compromise or take away from all that Jesus has done and all that he promises 
for those who would come to him and find refuge at his cross where his judgment is dealt with and our sin is taken away. And so he says to the world, he announces to the nations, come, I'm the perfect king, I'm the righteous judge. I am the refuge of your salvation. Take my perfect peace and enjoy my perfect future where you'll no longer have to look over your shoulder, where there'll be no more nightmares and no more sleepless worry, where there will be no more anxious busyness or guilt-ridden regret, where there'll be no more sinful failure, no more imposter syndrome, no more struggle with temptation, no more intrusive thoughts, no more debilitating pain, no more unmet longing, no more chronic illness, no more fearful uncertainty, no more overwhelming planning. At the end of Isaiah, we get a picture, the same as the picture we get at the end of the Bible in Revelation 22, where God says, I will give you a new heavens and a new earth, and those old former things will not be remembered. But I will glad, I will be glad and rejoice over you, taking delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. Death itself will not interrupt the relationships that we're meant to experience and enjoy forever. As soon as I read that verse this week, never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days. The name that just pours up my lips is Jade Marie Davies. I've taken dozens and dozens of funerals, many of whom, uh, their names I cannot remember off the top of my head. But Jade Marie Davies will be a name I'll never forget. She was my first ever funeral. And she only lived 12 weeks. And we didn't need a hearse because her coffin could fit on the back seat of a car. And we didn't need pole bearers because her dad could carry the coffin on his own. And it's moments like that that you say, this is not right. This world is not right. We need Jesus to make all things new. And his life, his death and his resurrection have purchased and guaranteed for us that perfect future where there is no more crying or pain, where there are no more tears, where there is no more death or disappointment or disease. And what is the picture we get of what that perfect peace looks like? The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
The path to that peace and enjoying that peace forever comes from knowing God. Knowing his King, Jesus. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that, you know, that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You want that peace, that perfect future under the perfect king in his perfect kingdom. You need to know the Lord and the one he has sent, Jesus, the Messiah. So friend, there's a question. Do you know him? Are you trusting in him? Have you come to his cross to say, I need refuge from your judgment and forgiveness of my sins and the perfect peace that drives out all fear? We begin the season of Advent today in the lead up to Christmas. Don't use this month to just stuff your face and fill your calendar and spend your money. Take a breath and know him. Get to know him more if you do. Seek him out while he can be found. In him is perfect peace perfect king who offers a glorious rest we'll finish here with verses 10 to 16 look at verse 10 in that day the root of jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples the nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious in that day the lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from assyria from lower egypt from upper egypt from cush from elam from babylonia from hamath and from the islands of the Mediterranean, he will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. His glorious rest is his perfect future and he will stand as a banner for the nations, calling to himself to enjoy his perfect peace under his perfect rule calling to the nations, come. Being the banner for the nations, this is where you gather, this is where you find life, this is where you find rest. Millions upon millions from every tribe and nation and language coming to Jesus. That's why where we get our our church prayer in Romans 15, the Apostle Paul quotes this, that the, the Gentiles, the nations of the world would glory in God's mercy in Jesus, coming to the banner of life and peace. We want to keep holding that out as our prayer and our priority to see people from every tribe and nation gathered to this perfect King in his perfect peace, with his glorious rest forever and ever. The very end of the Bible describes a very end of history when all things are wrapped up 
Jesus says in Revelation 22, quoting this passage, he says, I am the root and offspring of David, the bright morning star. And so the Holy Spirit and God's people, the bride, say, come. And let anyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life come to Jesus. And he who testifies to these things, the Lord Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. Advent is not simply about looking in the rearview mirror to what Jesus has done in his life, death and resurrection, but is about looking forward. He will come again to judge the living and the dead and to usher in his perfect peace, his glorious rest for all who trust in him. Jesus says in the last sentence of the Bible, I am coming soon. And all God's people said, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.